heart strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn over to Romans chapter 6 as we continue our series on dealing with sin. Dealing with sin. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 6 and work through verse 7. And then we'll kind of move along here. We're going to get through just a couple verses in Romans, kick things off and move along here tonight. Again, we're glad you're here and we're going to be again addressing this issue, dealing with sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And we learned, obviously, as we talked about this last week, that as believers, our old man is crucified with Christ. Uh, this means that we're no longer bound by sin. It means that we're no longer bound by its consequences any longer. 
It also means that we needn't be slave to sin or helpless to it. We can have power over sin now because that old man has been crucified. And yet even though the old man is crucified, we are not ignorant to fail to understand that the body's still alive. I mean, this old flesh that we are housed in is still just as uh, unfortunately, as live as it's ever been in that regard. And for this reason, we're admonished in the book of Romans chapter 6 to do a couple things in verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. You'll notice it's interesting again. He says, let not sin therefore reign. It's almost as if, and it is as if, and it's not even if, it is, that we have a responsibility not to let something happen in our bodies. It's not just all God's responsibility here. It's, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So on one hand, the old man, our old man, is crucified. And uh, on the other, we need to diligently resist the flesh. And purposely yield our members, those body parts, if you will, as instruments of righteousness. Now, we're saved. We're forgiven. We're accepted of God. We get that. Again, our salvation is not in question here at all. But there is going to be a battle within us. There's going to be a battle within our flesh concerning this issue. And a lot of times it's referred to, it's recognized as or noted being two natures battling one another. You we see the flesh, the physical, sinfulness, uh, uh, the sin in our bodies, that, that uh, likeness of Adam that we have. On the other hand, we have the spirit, that spiritual side, that, that which is perfect and in God's image. And so we have the spirit side, we have the flesh, and they're warring against one another. And there's a battle raging in your life and a battle raging in my life. And if there's no battle raging, then, you know, either one, a couple of things is true. Either you don't have the divine nature or you are so backslidden and so cold and insensitive to the Spirit of God and the Word of God that you don't even recognize. And I don't think that anybody in the room here would probably fit that category. However, the fact is, is that there would be no, really, I don't know if no, there would be any other solution there. If you're saved, there's a battle taking place. There ought to be warfare. It ought to be very visible in your life or very recognizable. Now, last week we asked a question. We said, what is sin? What is sin? And we said, sin's breaking God's law. And that's pretty simple. I mean, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth, transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law, the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 4. So we saw that. And, and that's pretty basic. You don't break God's laws. That's sin. Then we said, sin is any unrighteousness. And in 1 John 5, 17, the Bible says, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. So, all unrighteousness is sin. See, by definition, we noted that unrighteousness has to do with wrongdoing in general. We know that if we transgress God's law, if we do the wrong things, that's sin. But now, the Bible goes a little further and says, now listen, unrighteousness is sin, and that's wrongdoing in general. So, therefore, it would basically include things like a wrong attitude, wrong 
words, wrong acts, of course, as well. So it involves more than just the physical. It involves what we're thinking and what we're saying and what, what our perspective is and what our outlook is. All of those things can be sinful. They're unrighteousnesses if they don't align themselves up with God and His Word. And then we said, finally, sin is anything done apart from faith. Anything done apart from faith. Anything. Romans 14, 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We compared the account of the serpent in the wilderness. And then we, we compared it with the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 3. And we understood in that account with that brazen serpent and Jesus Christ expressing how he needs to be lifted up as well. We understood that looking on the Old Testament serpent is identical with believing on the New Testament Christ. That the two, just like they in the Old Testament, looked up to the serpent, that brazen serpent, and lived. We have to look up to Jesus Christ if we're going to live. And look up in belief. To look up is to believe. It's what we recognized and understood through the Scriptures. So that means that look and believe are synonymous terms. And therefore, looking and believing are the same thing. So when we put that all together, we came to the idea and we understood this thought. Believing then is directing one's heart, heart's attention to Jesus Christ. Focusing our attention up. Looking up to Him. So when we look to Christ, we're believing or exercising faith then. When we fail to look up, we are not exercising faith. When we're simply looking out, looking down in a sense, spiritually speaking, then we're not exercising faith. Well, that is sin then. In order to truly exercise uh, faith, we have to look up. We have to keep our eyes on Him. we got to depend on Him. We have to be seeking Him. That's what we're doing. And so that means that anything done without looking up to Jesus is sin then. Boy, that is a sobering thought, isn't it? So now tonight I want to consider another question. And here's the question. Why do I sin? Why do I sin? And so let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll consider just a couple of thoughts tonight. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us and help us. And Lord, as believers, we want to grow and we want to know more about you and we want to understand ourselves a little better. Lord, nobody knows us better than you. So, Lord, we just need to read your word, study your word. And as you reveal who we are in Scripture, we understand what we're all about. We'd like to believe we're all so unique and all so different. And in one respect, we are, Lord. We understand that. But the truth is, as human beings, we're very similar. We're all very much alike. Lord, you, uh, we really think a lot alike. We feel a lot alike. We have the same heart, the desires, same goals in a sense. Uh, everybody wants this. Everybody wants that. We're all pretty much in the same boat here. Lord, help us, Lord, as believers to note how you've created us, how you've made us. And then, Lord, how we wrecked and ruined much of that and how it has affected us. And then, Lord, what our responsibilities are toward you and your word and uh, just toward others and Bless us now, Lord, as we consider why we sin. May we take this short time and be blessed, instructed, and inspired for you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, we sin because we've inherited a sinful nature from Adam. And someone says, ah, yeah, I know that. I know you know that. But have you ever considered this? I mean, really from a biblical standpoint. Um, think about 
Romans 5.12 for just a minute. Who can quote Romans 5.12 for me? It's in the soul winning plan. Many of you have been soul certified. You, you can nail it. Um, who else here? Hey, brother, brother Mike, right in the middle. He's up high. Go ahead. First John 5. It's a tongue twister, so. I told you it's a tongue twister. And death by sin. Okay, yeah. Now, he got his tongue tied a little bit. I told you it's a tongue twister. All right? Now, now just listen to this for a minute. I, I, yeah, he, I think he got most of it. Wherefore is by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for they're all sinned. Whew. I always say to people a lot of times when I say that, I go, now that was a mouthful, wasn't it? And they all go, now let me let's break that down a little bit, all right? Because if you don't break it down, it makes no sense to anybody. All right? But really, think about that verse for a minute. Let's slow it down. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Everybody in the room probably knows who that one man is. Who was that one man? Adam. That's correct. Adam. Okay, and death by sin. We know that, that before Adam sinned, there was no death, all right? And so as a result of that, we see, death bringing, uh, we see sin bringing forth death. And so now we have uh, sin in the world, and, and it's been brought about because of the sin of Adam, and death now is in the world. Hey, if anybody ever says to you, I don't understand why this person died. I'll tell you why. Sin. Because of sin. I'm not saying that their sin was any worse. That's why they died. I'm saying that the fact is that sin brings about death. That's the reality of it. Someone says, I don't get why some of these, why young people die or why some of the best people seem to die and some of the worst people seem to live. Sin. Sin's affected all of us. It has tainted all of us. It is wrecked and ruined all of us. All of our bodies are, are wrecked and ruined because of it. If there had been no sin, we would have continued to live like Adam and Eve would have lived in the garden forever. But we are sinners at the root. Therefore, sin continues to deteriorate. It's like a cancer in our bodies. And it destroys and kills everything. Everything. He goes on, Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men, for that all sinned. And as we know, we'll talk about a little bit in our soul winning training that, of course, since Adam sinned, therefore, as a result, every person born now is born a sinner. In 1 Corinthians 15, look there, would you please? 1 Corinthians 15, 45. We're going to read a few verses here and then we're going to make, I'm going to make a little bit of an application and just try to help us to kind of understand how this all transpired and took place. But 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49. <clears throat> 1545, 1 Corinthians. I mean, we are sinners because we've inherited a sinful nature. By the way, you're a sinner because you inherited a sin nature too. Sometimes we talk in generalities. You know, in the pulpit, sometimes I'm very careful to try to not say things that point to you all the time, point to me. But I tell you what, sometimes as a preacher, I think I'm guilty of somehow kind of pulling it back and not giving it to you with both barrels. You are a wretched sinner because of the sin of Adam. And so am I. That's a little better, isn't it? We all are, right? We all are. It's not just your neighbor. It's not just your wife or husband. It's not just that wicked kid you got. It is you. And if they got anything bad going on, it's probably because of you. They just got it from you. Thank you, preacher. All right, yeah, that's how it works. Okay, and so it is written, 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, 
that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. Isn't that something? You see that? You see Adam there, and you see Jesus there again. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, earthy, excuse me, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. You see that? Isn't that something? We got, we got this thing of Adam going. We got the thing with Jesus going. I mean, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Now, we're to be Christ-like in our outlook and our attitude and our actions. We understand that. But one day, we'll literally be in His image in the sense that we'll be a, have a body like unto His. But guess what we do have now? Got that old flesh like that earthy. Now, turn your Bible, if you would, turn over to Genesis 127. Way back there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. <clears throat> so here's how it goes down, and here's what transpires and takes place. Notice it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we have here God creating uh, mankind. We see here in chapter 127, for, for God, so God <clears throat> created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. <clears throat> now, I think it's important to note those first few words. So God created man in his what? Own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now, that's important, isn't it? That's very important. So when man was created, he's created in what image? Image of God, right? He's created in the image of God. Now, then came the fall, right? Chapter 3, we have the fall of mankind. We see here Eve being tempted of Satan, Satan, uh, Eve yielding to, to that temptation. We find Adam giving in and taking of the forbidden fruit. Uh, as a result, we know that both of them are removed out of the presence of God and out of the garden. They begin to age and they surely die. But notice what it says over here in chapter 3. Notice chapter 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. Okay, now we go on and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Notice again, a fall's taken place. Something's transpired. Something has changed here, drastically changed. In this case, the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. They didn't know that before. So again, the fall affected them from the inside. How you see things is determined on how you are really on the inside. Do you realize that? If you're having a good day, you see things differently than when you're having a bad day. You know that? I mean, it's just the way life is. You're feeling bad, you're down, you're depressed. Guess what? Everything seems like it's a mess. Nothing's good. My marriage stinks. My children are out of control. My church is a mess. My pastor's an idiot. I mean, really, I'm not, I'm just saying, I'm telling you, you get in the doldrums, you get down the dumps, you get discouraged, you find yourself in a mess. You know what? Everything and everyone else around you is a bigger mess than you are. In your eyes, that is. Because what you are inside affects how you see things. And the problem is, in this case, we note something about these guys. But the eyes of them both were open. They knew something they didn't know before. Wow, we're naked. What? The fall. 
Hold on, watch what happens now as a result of that. And this is where we get to where uh, we're dealing with Adam and, and Christ and all of that. See, with the fall came a radical change in the internal makeup of man, inside. And then obviously it affected them on the outside, because inside changes do affect the outside. Note how it affected the offspring now of Adam. In chapter 5 of, of Genesis, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now again, wherefore as by one man sin entered in the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So death passed upon all men. If death passed upon all men, what else passed? Because without it, there is no death. So it had to be sin passed. Watch how this is is reflected here in the offspring of Adam. Chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. There's good, right? That's good. But hold on, keep reading. Male and female created them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived a hundred and thirty years and begot a son in his own likeness. After his image. And called his name Seth. You don't th- How many of you think that's pretty significant? I do. You say, well, he's in the image of God, just like Adam was. Wait a second. Remember, something happened to Adam, though. And I don't think it's coincidence that he now says about the offspring of Adam that his offspring is not in the image of God anymore. He didn't say he was in the image of God. He said he's in the image of Adam now. The likeness of Adam. See, the problem with you and I is, is that we have inherited a sinful nature. That's why we sin. It's not just that we don't have enough intestinal fortitude to say no. It's not just that we don't try. It's that we really are not what we need to be. We've got a real problem. And here's the fact. The facts are as this. If you think you're going to be able to live the Christian life in your own strength, under your own control, by your own will, by your own character, my friend, you are going to fail miserably. You're going to get so depressed and discouraged. You're going to give up on the Christian life. You're going to say, listen, it doesn't work. I tried it. It's a big farce. It's stupid. I gave it the best I've got, and it didn't work. I read that Bible. I got in the Word of God. I went to church every service, and I still was not able to get victorious over sin. My family still fell apart. My kids are still a mess. God isn't, it isn't what God, it isn't everything it's cracked up to be. No, you're just not cracked up. You're not everything you're cracked up to be. My friend, let me tell you something. If you're trying to live the Christian life in your own strength, and you somehow are trying to get through life without looking up all the time, not just when it's convenient, not just when you've got a problem in life, but when every day of your life, every morning you get up, you say, I'm a wretch. I'm nothing. I'm a big zero without Jesus Christ. I've got to have you today. I'm nothing. That's not your attitude, my friend. Then let me tell you something, you're well, you're too big for your britches and you are going to fail miserably and you're going to bring everybody down with you. That's the reality of it here. That's the reality. You and I are sinners, yes, but we are going to continue to sin if we do not yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we're in trouble. We sin because we have inherited a sinful nature. And just like the psalmist said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying his mother was such a big sinner. He's saying, listen, she conceived me in sin. From the moment I was conceived, I was a sinner. 
And that's true about every last one of us. We are in the image of our earthly father, so to speak. We're all just sinners at the root, like Adam. Why do I sin? Well, first, first because we've inherited a sinful nature from Adam. Number two, we sin because our old nature draws us into sin. That old nature, if you will, or that Adamic nature draws us into sin. That, that flesh draws us into sin. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. And we're going to read verse 14 as well to start with, but this is really an important point. James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, I'm not going to get into all the, the, the ins and outs and all the ups and downs about that little phrase, those phrases there, but let me just suffice to say, don't let it be said that God is the reason why you sin. Don't, well... God made me this way. He's the one who put all this lust in my heart. He knew what I'm all about. He knows I have a hard time controlling my tongue. He knows I got a real bad anger problem. Hey, that's on him, man. He made me that way. Uh, everybody's made that way. Everybody's got flesh. Everybody's out of, of the seed of Adam. Hey, don't, don't, don't blame God. For your failures in your Christian life. Don't, don't say, well, he tempt me or he, he allows this to go on or, or he's not being fair or he's not being, he hasn't come to my aid. He hasn't met my need. He, no, don't blame God. Don't say it's, he's the reason why you're sinning. But then in the passage, he goes on to say, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. <clears throat> See, James points out. A couple of things. He kind of addresses this issue. He kind of says, okay, now listen, I'm going to talk to you about temptation, sin, and the death process. And so he's going to start talking about that in this particular passage. He begins with what has been deemed or called at points, uh, some by some, the mother of sin. See, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So let me put it this way. The father of sin is the devil. The mother of sin is lust. So you have the father, the devil, the father of sin, the devil. You got the mother of sin, lust. By the way, every one of us has the mother of sin in us, lust. Okay, see, and and the problem is, is this, okay? Before a baby can be born, you got a mom and a dad here, right? Before a baby can be born, there has to be an impregnation process. It has to take place. Something has to happen, right? Something's got to go down. Then there's going to be a birth. And even more, once that sin is brought to birth in your life, it's going to have a life of its own. See, it's really popular today in the world we live to try to attribute bad behavior to genetics. You ever notice that lately? It seems like everywhere you go. I mean, this is the case, right, concerning homosexuality. And, of course, it addresses a number of other socialism in our culture as well. People trying to say, well, it's genetics, it's genetics, it's genetics. Uh, I mean, the liberals fervishly continue. They fervishly fervishly continue to try to find a gene, try to find some kind of blueprint, try to find some kind of code that will somehow predetermine whether a person will become homosexual or not. They're working like, like 
Busy bees to find the connection there. You want to know why? It's a convenient way to justify sodomy. It's, just, it's convenient. Here, here's what I want you to understand from a biblical standpoint. The Bible doesn't treat sodomy as a sickness. It's not a psychosis. It's not some g- genetic problem that exists in the body. It, the Bible treats sodomy as sin. That's all it does. It's very simple. It's very plain. Very forward. And by the way, a very wicked sin at that. If we'd look at Genesis chapter 19, we'd note that. In the Old Testament, let me tell you how it worked in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God's law pronounced the death penalty on people who practice sodomy. Oh, by the way, don't let that one get to you too bad because you also practice the death penalty on adultery. And on bestiality and on incest. All of those were death penalty offenses. See, God dealt with sin in those cases. He didn't call them a psychosis. He didn't treat it like it was some kind of genetic malfunction. It was simply sin. And that's how the Bible addresses it. So God never, ever, ever condemns people to death for being sick. Never. God's, God's a just God. He's a righteous God. He doesn't do that. He would not say, I'm condemning you to death because you are genetically Prone to homosexuality. You can't help it, but I'm going to condemn you to death, even though that's how I made you. God would never do that. And in the Bible, he makes it clear throughout the whole Bible, homosexuality is not a genetic defect then. Homosexuality is not a matter of you are born that way. What it is, is it's simply sin. Now listen, you don't have to believe that. You can go ahead and believe the psychobabble bull that the world has been giving us about that and about alcoholism and about all a number of other ills in our culture, about how everybody's so predispositioned to this problem, predisposed to this problem, and how they're so apt to this problem. Let me tell you something. My friend, God deals with it as sin. And you know what? If we're Christians and we believe the Bible, we ought to think and see it the way God sees it. Now listen, you don't have to, if you're saved, you can still go to heaven and not obey God in that regard. You can choose to rebel against God's word. That's fine. You do what you want. But let me tell you something. If you want God's blessing in your life, you've got to follow the word of God. You've got to see it the way God sees it. It's not a matter of being a hate monger. It's not about being racist. It's not about being angry. It's not about being mean or nasty. No. Matter of fact, people that love Jesus Christ love people that don't love Jesus Christ. And in some cases, those are people that don't love Jesus Christ. We love them anyway. It's not a fact, a matter of no compassion. If anything, we have greater compassion. To be that steeped in sin, to be that deceived in, 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 in unrighteousness. But remember, it's not just homosexuality, my friend. It's not just sodomy. It's other sins, like, like I said, adultery. My goodness, why, I, I'm always amazed. I, you know, people say, oh, you always point out those sins back here in the Old Testament. I say all the time, I'm consistent. I think anybody who has an illicit affair or a relationship outside of marriage is just as guilty as the guy who's having an illicit relationship homosexually. There's no difference. It's a moral, it's a moral breach. It's sin. Now, we, like, we say, well, that's, just, that's really a bad one. This one's not as bad. Well, what's God say about it? In the Old Testament, it was the same outcome. So before we get high on our horses and start talking about how bad this group of people is, why don't we look at our own lives and look right around us in our own families before we go pointing fingers at a small group and say, well, and by the, a small group, listen, you hear what I say? A small group. Contrary to what they're saying, it's not as big a group as they want to make it sound. 
God never condemned people because they were sick or because they were behaving according to their genetic disposition. He only condemned people to death for practicing sin. And as a creator, by the way, God is well aware as a creator what genes control us. He knows this. He's very aware of what aspects of life are predetermined in our lives. He's very aware of what aspects of life we can control and what we can't. For instance, over in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 27, the Bible says, Jesus Christ speaking, which of you by thought, excuse me, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Okay, which one of you can add a cubic? Which one of you can grow a foot and a half? Just make up your mind. I'm growing a foot and a half. Take enough steroids maybe, I don't know. But the, the fact is, is that you can't do it. It's a genetic issue. God's not going to go, listen, I want you to be six and a half feet, Mark O'Donnell, and you're only five, eight and a half. Got to throw that half in. It's funny, they say, how tall are you at the doctor? I say, five, eight and a half. And now they go, no. After 55 years, you aren't even that. I'm like, well, I got big shoes. My wife's like, those shoes got a bigger heel. And I'm like, yes. I like big heels. Not big heels like isn't tall, like girl heels, you know. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about they make me a little taller, you know. I always wanted to be at least six foot. It never happened. It's genetic, right? God doesn't hold that against me, though, right? He doesn't. He doesn't hold that against me. Then on the other hand, we read about a woman taken in adultery. Over in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 11. You know what he says to her? Go and sin no more. You say, wow, what's the difference? Well, obviously the difference is, in this case, God holds her responsible because her behavior is an act of volition. Her behavior is a chosen behavior. She, I can't help myself. Well, I've heard guys and gals both say that. But they can. You want to know how I know that? Because God says it right there. They can help if they want. Especially with Jesus Christ living in them. So the teaching in James has to do with behavior that we're responsible for. That's what he's addressing. He's not talking about any other behavior, but that which we are responsible for. And he teaches us that Satan sows a thought and lust responds to that thought. See, we have the embryos of all kinds of lust in our fallen nature. They're there. Just scattered throughout the, the body, if you will, the flesh. They're there. All of these seeds, these embryos of lust. So, first there's the lust within us, okay? We have that lust within us. Then temptation comes along. Temptation comes. For instance, let's take pornography or porn, pornographic lust. Okay? We, we all know that in the flesh, we're, we're, we're all to some degree or another prone to that. We have that lust Embryo, if you will. So pornographic lust. Then Satan plants a dirty book or a filthy movie or a suggested picture there. So at this point, the stage is set for sin, right? The stage is set for conception to take place in the soul. We have the mother of sin, the lust. We have the father of sin, temptation, the, the devil, placing that temptation, I should say, in the in, in the mix, and trying to conceive a sin. Take anger, for instance. 
you have that anger lust in us. And so then Satan comes along and throws a temptation in our way. He's like, ha, ha, ha. yeah, let's go ahead and, 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 and just throw an insult their way. A, a, a disappointment of sorts. And now we have anger, lust, and we have the insult or that other aspect of temptation there. We have the temptation, the lust, and we have these two ingredients. They're both right there. In each case, that lust and that temptation need to be fused together now. They need to be brought together before sin really results. So see, there's nothing wrong with the fact that there's a lust within us. That lust in us. It's going to be there. God created us with those different types of lusts. In that sense, and in and of itself, that's not all bad because we, we have things. I mean, for instance, in marriage, you need an element of, of desire, if you will. It makes the marriage much better. The fact is God made us with those things. We call it desire, lust, whatever you want in us, uh, in, in, whatever you want to call it. But then temptation comes along and it's going to try and Satan wants to fuse them together. So how do they become fused together? How does that happen? When does that happen? Well, it happens when the will, the will gets involved. Your will, my will. Once the will responds, then impregnation takes place. Then that con, it, it conception and, and, and it all takes place. Lust conceives and sin is born. So we have that, that lust within and then we have the temptation and, and, and they, they have to be brought together and it's the will that allows it to conceive now and bring forth sin. Once we have allowed lust and temptation to fuse in our life, we can expect the inevitable. A birth. A sin will be born, as I said. And apart from God's intervening grace in your life, my life, that sinful offspring will be yours forever. And the bad thing is, is this. Here's the danger of any sin in your life or in mine. It continues to grow. You know, just like that child that was conceived and born into your family, it continues to grow and grow and eat more and more and cost more and more. You know what sin in your life does? It keeps growing. It keeps growing and growing and it costs more and more. James chapter 1 verse 15 the Apostle James, he's going to say now, he's going to continue with this passage here, and he says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So, see, the sin that's now conceived in us grows and develops. That word that James uses for finish there uh, is a word that means to bring to maturity or to become full grown. See, every sin grows in sinfulness. It gets worse and worse. As Paul puts it, he says, sin becomes exceeding sinful. So what is a little sin in our eyes becomes a greater sin and a greater sin. It's like it's a chain link, if you will. That sin produces other sin and it attaches itself and attaches itself. And it just grows and grows and grows. And it doesn't get any less influential in our lives it only becomes more influential in our lives and sin is joined by sin and it just consumes us and takes over us more and more so the man who drinks becomes a hopeless drunkard 
The man who smokes marijuana goes on to cocaine and then to heroin. You ever heard that story before? See, that's how sin works. James isn't finished, though, is he? He tells us about how sin ultimately ends. He says, for sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. See, the thing is, we noted this earlier, and we talked about it just a short time. Sin puts its hand on mortality, and it kills. It puts its hand on character, and it kills it. Sin puts its hand on health, and it kills it. Sin affects every aspect of your life and being today. And it affects every aspect of my life and being as well. Whether we want it to or not, it does. Now, here's the thing. We choose, however, whether or not we're going to allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies. Why do I sin? Well, because I'm already, first of all, inherited. I've inherited a sinful nature from Adam. But then, that old nature draws me into sin. I've got those those. Lust pellets, if you will. And then I've got the temptation that Satan brings into my life. And he's trying to bring conception into that as I yield to, my will yields to it. I go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to bring them together. They come united. They go together. I follow through with that lust. I follow through with that temptation. I make a conscious choice to do so. And then sin is conceived. And then when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Hey, sin is no laughing matter. It it destroys things. It kills things. It wrecks and ruins everything. Okay, I'm going to close. I have another point where we're going to skip it. But really, in in your marriages, go play around with the wrong thing, gentlemen or ladies, in your lives. Permit thoughts and permit those kind of things in your life and you will regret it because ultimately it will take a hold on you and it will begin to affect your intimacy. It will begin to affect your relationship. It will begin to affect your communication. It will affect how you see each other, how you, how you interact with one another. And I'm not just talking about immorality. I'm talking about your spirit and your attitude and every aspect of your life. Sin will wreck you. It will destroy you. It will choke the life out of everything good that you know. Amen. That's what sin does. We sin because we've inherited sin nature from Adam. We sin because our old nature draws us into sin. And then I'm just going to leave you with a thought. I'm not going to touch it. You sin as a result of temptation in three major areas. And they're outlined in 1 John 2, verse 15 and, uh, 15 and 16. You've heard of it. We're not going to spend any time on it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus battled with it there in the wilderness. Eve battled with it in the garden. And we see them both dealing with these three areas. And by the way, those are the three areas that Satan will attack you in and deal with you as well. And me. All of us. Same boat. But remember, we don't have to sin, though. And so, our series is on dealing with sin. So now we've we've talked about what is sin. And and we've asked the question today, you know, why do I sin? And in the future, we'll look a little bit about how we can deal with that sin. Okay? So that's what we see. How are you doing with that sin stuff? You know, that lust within, the temptation comes, the will determines whether it conceives, whether it produces offspring or not. Do we yield to it or don't we? May God help us to be in the Spirit, walking according to the Word of God and allowing Him to help us to say no when this old flesh is saying 
yes. Father, we come to you. We pray, Lord, you'd give us victory.